Hey guys, it's your host K Did. Welcome back to Hear Our Voices. So this will be part two, continuing back from what we talked about last week and what we discussed. So it's with on many different topics. So just stay on for the ride. Buckle in. It's gonna be uh, maybe a bumpy ride, but hopefully you enjoy. Thank you for coming back to our season two, and see you in the next one. So so it was it was extremely difficult. And I became more vocal in terms of trying to change that. Uh, and I ended up getting COVID and almost dying while, wow. through that. Experience. Sorry about that. Yeah. So when I overcame it, I was like, okay, everything changes now. And that's kind of like the, the, the way I'm moving now. You know, a lot of that comes from that. Oh, that's, that's crazy. That's, honestly, you had to go through a lot of stuff just to make sure, you know, you could be able to help others. And I understand why you picked the name now. I thought you was like, my stage name is K-Did. I picked the name mm-hmm. when I was like doing acting. So people would not know that unless they actually know me, that that's what my stage name was when I started acting. So it was like, but your name came because of a cause and not, you don't want people to retaliate and come against you because of what you're doing behind the scenes to help other people. And like, you're just helping, as you said, yourself. You're helping other people have a better life in the shelter in a bad predicament. We didn't know this was going to happen. We didn't think, most people thought, 2020, because we, I feel like, especially when I was a little kid, I think we lived for 2020 to happen. I never thought it would, I never even thought it would, a day or a year would come like that. And when it finally did, we like, oh my God, it's going to be so great. And when it finally came, we were like, uh-uh, this is not it. <laughs> so, um, it's, it can be definitely a lot. It's, yeah. Thank you for your service. <laughs> like, what else can I say? Thank you. Um, what else have you been doing? I know you work at a certain place. If you want to share that information with us also. Well, I don't work for nobody. I'm an independent, proud, EBT card-carrying advocate. (laughs) No one funds me, unfortunately. But um, I do work for the people. And and so, you know, I'm, as you can see, all over the place, um, just trying to get people housed and stuff. You know, my goal is to to, to, uh, drop the homeless hero as a name and become, evolve into the housing hero. Ultimately, the only way you're going to solve homelessness is by producing housing. So that's where my focus is at. Although, you know, it's it's a twofold uh, uh, thing that we have to address. We have to also address, you know, I want to get homeless people housed. And so um, behind the scenes, obviously, I'm, I work with advocates. Well, you know, publicly and behind the scenes, I work with advocates all throughout the city, some in different um or even across the across the uh, out as far as out LA, you know, uh, wow. in central issues and de- drafting policies and 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 engaging with political people. Um, but I also working. I'm working with the Adams administration um, to help address issues and get things, you know, changed from the old way of doing business to a, a new way of doing business, a better way of doing business, so that we can be positively impacted in our experience, because anyone could be homeless. You know, the face of homelessness is not the drug addict or, or you know, or, you know, to use their language or, you know, the mentally ill person, you know, the, the, anyone could be homeless. You got city workers that are homeless, experiencing homelessness. Right. So, you know, I want, my focus is on people that are homeless. Let's get them housed. Let's, if it's people that need extra help and services, let's get them supportive houses. Um, so there's a lot that's being done. I, 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 I barely get any rest 
<laughs> I tried. I'm trying to. I'm working on it. But um, uh, I, I'm just. I'm seeing progress. Um, it's not going to happen overnight. A lot of the issues that face. You know, when you look at figures like 90% of those experiencing homelessness is black and brown people, you have to really look at the reality of what role race plays in this. Um, so there's issues of systemic structural and institutional racism that has to be addressed, that has to remain a part of the conversation. As many as we have a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, great um, white people and people that don't have lived experience who want to do good for people who uh, who may not be so fortunate or privileged. As great as that is, you know, the reality is that, you know, we have to understand what our gender needs to be and be the leaders in that discussion. Right. And so that's where it's important, I, I tell people to uplift, you know, the voices of those directly impacted because yeah. we, we know very well how it is. this affects us from the standpoint of our race, you know, and, and why this is so imbalanced and unfair towards us. It's understandable. And we know, cause we just, well, we lived it. So it's one thing if you want to help and that's great. Anybody who wants to help the cause is excellent that they want to help. But when you actually lived it, it's much different than just reading about it or seeing it, you know what I'm saying? Um, like I've never been street homeless, but obviously I went to the shelter and I'm happy. Well, if you like, went into the shelter, if you went into the shelter, that means you were homeless. No, I know. I know. I know that for a fact. I'm like, I think it's much different than like, I think street homeless and shelter, but I'm happy for like the stories I heard and the things that I seen when I was in the shelter, I'm happy a lot of things didn't happen to me, but the experience itself mm -hmm. was is depressing. It's just like, people look at you crazy. People treat you crazy. And it's like, the food there, I had to buy a food basically every day because the food that they gave me, I couldn't eat it. Like, yeah, no, no, nothing, no salt, no pepper. It's, just, it's frozen food. And the shelter I stayed in for over a year, they didn't even have, um, now I heard they have stoves. When I was there, they didn't have no stove. They only had microwaves. Wow. They don't even like microwave food. And they wow. have um, the mini fridges and things like that. And it's like, I have a whole baby. It was just really inhumane. <laughs> That's inhumane. It is. And those are the things that we got to see. I was fortunate that, you know, I was in like a kitchenette type of place, like a hotel. Yeah. Um, converted into a shelter. And the, the problem that we had first was that it was just my son and I. So they look for, I guess it's about maximizing money or something. But right. a lot of those environments are either for all women, a lot of times they're for DV victims. And the thought of placing a male in a DV shelter was always was like challenging. But okay. the also in, in the beginning, they tried to place us in shelters that were like huge and horrible. And but it was like those shelters that might be for families or something, they would have like their rooms and stuff like that would be for bigger families. So they didn't want to waste the space with just me they, and my son. Yeah. So we lucked up and we ended up finding a, a one good place on the Upper West Side that, that, that you know, with fit with, was, you know, women with children. So we were able to cook and stuff like that it was pretty good. And that's how I was able to kind of stabilize them with school. But it still was trying like, and even then I didn't, the idea of housing 
uh, was like, I didn't know if we would ever leave that place, you know, because. That's what it feels like when you're there, though. Yeah. <laughs> you feel like, you know, you might not stay here forever, but it feel like it never, it's like a, a black hole kind of sucking you in. You're trying to get out of it. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah. No, crazy. just right. It's really crazy. I've been to four different shelters, but the first one I was in had the stoves and I, the first and second had the stove. The third and fourth did not. It was, it was a shock to me. When I first went to the first shelter, I was like, okay, it's not as bad. It was really, really clean. The people seemed nice. I got there really late at night, comes from Pat, but, um, I only got to stay there for a certain amount of time. Then I had left the country. So they, it was a big thing with that. But um, it was, it's a lot. It's, it's really, it, it does a lot on your mental just capacity. Yes. How did it do it? Like, how was it for you? Did you go in there one way and came out a different way? Or because you already were oh, like, I think um, it's different yeah. for you also because you lived a harder life than I think most people. Like me, I grew up in, a, in Queens in a home in a house. You know, that's where I grew up. Mm-hmm. But when a person's already in the system, I think it's much different. I want to hear what you what happened to you in that way. Well, obviously, the thought of, you know, I'm automatically going to refer to my my experience dealing with the the, the city. I mean, sorry, the, you know, the system, put it that way. And knowing there's always a trust issue because I've, I've been failed and I'm conscious of that. But then when you see it happen in real time, and you're not like, you know, I'm not out here doing something wrong, selling drugs or doing something, you know, I'm trying to be a father. The things that people, you know, the stigma says that black men don't take care of their children. I'm doing that. And I'm I'm being messed around. Like I'm not being supported. And I'm actually the victim of their failure. It's not even like, hey, it's a money thing. It's a work thing. It's like, no, you are doing something that is, hurting me and my son and remember the thing about the family shelter system when you have a child with you anything that you go through affects that child so there's no way that you're going to avoid the uh the mental the negative impact that it has on your mental health and wellness that's very real and to this day you know obviously you know i speak freely about struggling with mental illness and 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 those challenges and you know i talk about how at one point i was com- contemplating suicide oh, man. that's how bad it got so you know so part of this is to recover from all of that trauma right. and to find a way to turn the negative into positives got it i understand wow and, and let me say this yeah. As a black person, I, I always refer on the ancestors, the real history of our ancestors. Right. And I always think to people like Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass and so many people who rose up above negative circumstances to do great things. And I in my mindset, I say, well, if they could do it, who am I to give up? Who am I to say I can't do it? And so I draw on the inspiration and try to channel their resiliency in order to address the issues that negatively impact us. And yeah, okay, I got my housing now. I should be good. I can go on with my life, start working and whatever, right? Yes. But I thought about everybody else that's that's still going through it, that's gonna go through it. And it's like, nah, you know what? I never stood up for me, for me, my own sake. I stood up for all of these people. Why would I abandon the post simply because I got my own house apartment now? Right. Nah, you know what? 
Let me stay in the fight. And it's, it's I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's not that I looked. I don't know what this is supposed to be. I'm just going going with the flow at this point. Right. Um, it's like, sometimes I'm like, yo, I don't believe that they just invited me to a gala. Right. Uh, I don't believe that I just won this award as advocate of the year. Like, I'm not doing it for that. But this happens. And I'm like, yo, you know what? When I was selling drugs, I ain't never get no awards. Like, yo, you drug dealer of the year, champ. This is a better lifestyle for me. This is a better example to set for my kids, you know, and other kids who may come across me or watch me. They could draw positive inspiration. And even some of my people that's still in the streets, I could let them see like, yo, listen, we don't, we don't got to play that forever. Like we can actually do some good and, and graduate out of it and get invited to galas and, and, right. and be advocates of the year and all that, you know? So it's, it's cool. It's still being, even though we're dealing with real situations and there's real hurt out there. Like there's crisis moments that come. Like when you see our homeless brothers and sisters being attacked, that's a crisis for me. Because right. I remember being lonely in them streets and, and, and then that level of danger that, that yo, at, in, in a moment's notice, you could be killed. So that, that's, that's triggering to me. That's like, I, I go through something when things like that happen. So, so yeah, this is good in the activism, but it comes with its challenges because I have to relive a lot of that trauma. Right. So I, anyone who does that, I look at like, I see their strength. I see their boldness. I see their their resiliency, just the ability to, to just say something, just this, the ability to speak and to, 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 to center their issue. I look at that and say, man, they strong. They strong. And, and that's where I draw my inspiration from. Got it. That's a lot. That's deep. Because <laughs> honestly, I don't think about it like when I talk about it. I talk about it like almost honestly, like it's a book I read and I'm just repeating it back. I don't go back in the mindset of it. Cause I think it probably would make me depressed if I did. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Because going when I was in it, I was, I mean, I was in the it got to a point that I didn't leave my my um my room. I just stayed in the room with my daughter in the dark and only my phone and a tablet was on. And we ate and we took a shower. That's that was mm-hmm. the existence of our day. Cause I got so depressed. I'm like, I know I'm not gonna stay here forever. But I just don't yeah. know. Oh, and it felt like I mean, like I said, a pit. And yeah. I don't want to go back to that place. Just thinking about it is like, this was sad. Yeah. And if I saw somebody yeah. going through, I'm like, this is really sad. And it's like, you don't want to, you don't want to like snap out of it because honestly, it's not <laughs> easy to snap out of it because yeah, you're going through not- something was so deep and it's just this is a this is not like oh you stub your finger your toe but you you can't stub your finger I guess you stub your foot and you know. And you're like, that's, it can go away a couple of pages. No, you're in a shelter. You don't mm-hmm. have no home. You don't have a place. You don't have a key to your place. At the time I was like 20 something years old. And I didn't think that my life, I said, like, you know, your child, you have so much dreams. Well, I had a lot yeah. of dreams. I thought I'd be an actor by now. I thought I'd be making 5,000. I thought I'd be getting Oscar, Grammys. Mm-hmm. I thought these are the things I thought of my life. Yeah. For some yeah. reason, I thought I'd be homeless too. I don't know why. That's just something I thought was gonna happen and end up happening anyway. Well, you know, a lot of us actors and artists, a lot of us creators, are, are right. experience homelessness at some point. Exactly. <laughs> Steve Harvey did too. Yeah. He was living in his yeah. Uh, I think Tyler Perry had a, a yes. moment too. 
Yeah. And and Steve Harvey, I remember his story, and which is very moving. And that's once again and somebody else I draw inspiration from because he said he worked so hard because he never want to go back to that. That's the thing too, yes. And 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 that's my that's my mission now because I've seen the revolving door. I've been a part of that cycle of getting a voucher, getting a house. One year later, I'm right back in the shelter. Oh, really? Like what the, Yeah, of course. The voucher programs wasn't working. So guess what? I'm working tomorrow, just to be honest. I'm sitting with the DSS commissioner. And one of the things we're doing is good. we're going to try to figure out how to improve the voucher system so that it doesn't oh become God. a Oh, my God. I wish I was there for that. Oh, my yeah. gosh. That is, oh my gosh, put in some good ideas for us, please. I'm yeah, not going to voucher people. We're going to have, a, this is just me and him one-on-one, -on -one, but we're right. having a bigger meeting that has, that we want to involve the voices of other directly impacted people, yeah. because that's one of the most important things, not just Sham's voice, right. because everybody, although we're all experiencing homelessness in some ways, everybody's experience ain't the same. What a, what a woman true. has to go through is not necessarily what a man has to go through. Right. And that's a unique experience that only that woman could, 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 could speak on right. with the, with the, with, from the standpoint of, I mean, just certain things like I learn from everybody. And sometimes when I hear certain stories, you know, a person that's coming out of prison and then paroled to a shelter or the streets, their, their, their stories is so much different. A woman that's in the streets and can't access uh, menstrual products or in right. a shelter that's not provided. Those things are things that I might not even think about because right. it's not my experience. But when you hear of it, you're yeah. like, whoa, this is a problem that has to be addressed. Right. And so I try to involve as many directly impacted people in these conversations so that those that are charged with, do, with, in, in, with uh, uh, running these systems can improve it so that it works for not just sham, but it works for all of us. Right. But it's so much things I feel like the shelters, first of all, the rooms are hella expensive. Let's start off with that. And they can't give us base. I talk about this all the time. I need a toilet tissue. At the time, I didn't have the money to buy toilet tissue. That's how broke I was, right? Mm -hmm. And these people said, oh, we don't provide that. We only provide it when yeah. it first come in. Yeah, I've had every day. I've had, yeah, just think about that. Just something as basic as toilet paper. And I've had people ration toilet paper, like, you know, roll up a couple of fruits things. Here's one for you, here's one for your son. I'm like, what the? That's crazy. You know, and, and like you said, with all of the money that they get, you would think that something as humane as providing toilet paper. Right would be provided. No. Exactly. It's, you it's know? ridiculous. So, basic things. Exactly. And so this is, this is, these are the things that, you know, that we fight against. And while we're always in a need, we're going to be always in a need of some form of shelter, because right. there's always, you know, someone's house could burn down, anything could happen, a DV victim, whatever. Right. We don't want to see an increase in the industrial shelter complex. Exactly. It's a big money-making business. Pop it is. It is. And so what we, we want to do is we want to get away from that, reduce the shelter population, and come back 
uh, how you say, uh, and come back with housing. We want to get people in housing. And so I'm trying to push for us to adopt the housing first policy. Right. And I'm trying to get us to uh, uh, with the, reimagine what the shelter experience is like and make sure it's just a temporary stop instead of someplace where you're there for two years, three years. And at that, it doesn't make sense. You could have just gave me the money. I'll go get the fuck. Exactly. That's what I, was, I don't money? understand. Yeah, I live, I live like a rich person. Right. <laughs> you know, amount of money they put out has been more money than I made in the past couple of years. That's how much money they put into the shelter. You know what I could have done with that money? I could make yeah. up a whole business. I could have done so much for myself to make my family better instead of me being in a shelter yeah. and depressed. Let's really think about That's that. Right. Why are you yeah. here breaking me down? People in there who don't want to do their jobs or they don't they just got there so they don't know how to do the job and they're not yeah. really helping you at all. Yeah. Just, a lot of things are broken and it's like because there's so much problems, you try to start everywhere. And you, honestly, when you're trying to make something better, you can't start everywhere. You got to start at one point and kind of work yourself up. But it's just like yeah. so many broken parts. There's so many broken yeah. people. And it's, and it's sad that pe- families, um, single people, it, it, we, always, we always break it down to sectors like family, um, family homelessness or street homelessness, your youth. The point is that the person's homeless. That's the key word in all of this. We're all homeless yeah. as they want to put yeah. it down in a cute way. We're all unhoused people, right? That's what yeah. they want to put us yeah. as now. Because so like we don't have a home. That's the point. It's, it's, it's not It's not yours. Your name ain't on the lease. And we believe that housing is a human right. Right. And you believe that also. Everyone should be housed. No one should be homeless or unhoused. We all should be housed. So what's wrong with us, the richest nation in the world, they say unable <laughs> to provide the one of the, the one of the basic necessities. Right. It's a necessity. A home shelter is right. a necessity. So how do we get to the point where yo, know, it's a necessity, but you know what? It's not important to us. We'll rather fund wars and fund all these other exactly. things exactly instead of funding the housing of human beings. That's the crazy part about it. Because you know, like in first, second grade. You learn about needs and wants and always the need that you need is like, you need water, you need shelter, you need certain yes. things. And you you grow up learning these things, this stuff you need, but yet yes. I go homeless. So you're telling me I need these things, but it's really not a need because you're not trying to help me get it. And granted, I'm not exactly. trying, to, I'm trying to say either that we need to just give away houses and people are not working for it. I'm not saying that either because people might say, oh, no, I'm just going to give no. away housing. People don't work for it. No, people be in the shelter with good jobs. Like you said, you had a job, you had money. You didn't have to be out there in the shelter. You did it for a reason. My circumstances, yeah. I was, um, I first tried to go in and they, they didn't accept me a couple of times, eight months pregnant on bread rest. When I needed the help, they was like, nah, I'm not helping you. Eight months pregnant. Are the oh. papa baby out? They said, I can't help you with, with a shelter. I'm not even asking for, at this point, I want an apartment, but I couldn't afford it. I couldn't work. I'm supposed to be on bed rest. And they tell me no. That's the first time you're experiencing with past. And you tell me these basic things you can't help me with? I don't mind working, yeah. but right now, technically, I'm on medical leave. You know? <laughs> so it's not like, I want to be here. I'm here with my baby, you know? So that's just like, mm-hmm. to me, and then also, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of th- different things. For example, when, even when I was working, I was working a part-time job, minimum wage. This is from like 2014, 13. 
I'm looking for 21 in Times Square. I don't care if anybody knows about it. That's where I was working. Just giving me sometimes mm-hmm. less than 20 hours a week. If you think about the rent in New York City and how much a part-time job is not enough money. So already the wages in New York or just in general needs to go up. Because example, in the pandemic, everybody wants food. Everybody needs, all the women need pads. People need, still need clothes. You need a house. You don't need that much clothes. Certain things you just need. But the people who are working in these stores every day who risk their lives, the people who are driving the train, driving the bus, well, they they get paid actually pretty good money. So I can't really complain about that. But people who work at Target, in the grocery store, are getting minimum wage. And if it's a yeah. private grocery store, they might be hiring undocumented people, paying them less than that. How are they surviving? How are they yeah. surviving? It doesn't make any sense to me. And that's the thing, it's like, so, so the idea of a universal housing voucher for people whose income level falls behind below a certain amount right. is an option. It's if you move up in the world and you're making the money, you can afford it, then, you know, you don't need this voucher. Right. But if you're not making that much money, you're your regular worker. Right. Then we will give you a voucher that helps to supplement the cost of your rent. And that's one of the pushes that we're pushing for is to have this universal voucher so that people don't have to choose between feeding a child at night and having car fare to get to work. That's the problem. People can say, let me start saving and putting away for my child's college education. Instead of saying when the child is 14, you know, you have to go to work or 16. I don't know. You got to leave school. You can't go to college, but we need to help with these bills. That's not good for people. That's crazy. You know, it's a problem. (laughs) Yeah. And there's so many things that needs to be fixed. Like I said before, it's just like, it's, where do you start? Where do you really start? I don't yeah. know. Well, well, we start, you know why? We start doing what you're doing. Uh, creating the podcasters, hear our voices. Right. Creating platforms where we can amplify our voices and speak to these issues and educate people. And, and, and also educate ourselves. We have to use things like this as a resource to understand. There was a time I didn't understand nothing. I just went with the flow. But it took a minute for me to start to say, once I got active in, in trying to change stuff, right. I, I had to also learn. I continue to learn. You know, I joined groups like Vocal that, that is great at educating directly impacted people from directly impacted people. I joined, I joined a New York housing conference and, 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 and I also arranged uh, different opportunities for people to learn and engage. Last year, we did the first of its kind mayoral candidates forum from the experts on homelessness, homeless people. So homeless people from across the city were able to pose questions to the mayoral candidates to present, to be presented in a dignified way to ask questions. And I had all of the, including the current mayor, uh, Eric Adams, I had all of the candidates participating. And, and it was great because they've never, a lot of times they've not in the public forum like this, they've never faced homeless people. Right. So when we talk in housing and homelessness, they're facing the people that have to live it, that live it. 
And then those people were able to ask questions and get answers and now are able to hold uh, this current mayor, uh, uh, Eric Adams, accountable to what he presented in that platform. So it's important for us to use our voice and the privilege of our lived experience to also educate and, 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 and help others to understand what homelessness is and also to provide solutions at, uh, as, to, as to how we should be addressing homelessness to hopefully end it uh, at some point in time. Got it, got it. But I was, almost forgot this question from before. This is going back to, back to the um, housing voucher. So the thing about it with the universal housing voucher is, is a good idea. It's wonderful. The problem is that the landlords, because we have all these vouchers, but a lot of landlords, landlords have gotten burned from before or just don't like the programs. So it's like, we need to, I want to I wanna say housing police, but we need something so that if a person goes to a landlord and say, I have this voucher, they will take it. Because technically it's, it's money is money. You feel me? It's not usually- Yeah, well, well, that's the thing. Now, I organize landlords to form what I call landlords who care. Okay. Right? So I have landlords from across the city who's part of this organization who have pledged to put up initially in a pilot, a thousand apartments okay. for voucher holders. They're like, we want to help end homelessness. We, we like what you do, Shams, and we want to help you. We will pledge a thousand apartments. The only thing we ask is that you fix the vouchers. Oh, wow. So it's not out yet. It's until the vouchers get fixed, that's when they will do it. Yeah, but, I'm, but the difference between me and say, well, I don't draw a difference, but the thing with me, is that I said, oh, okay. So I get on the phone and I start making them calls. And so, you know, obviously I'm sitting with the head of DSS tomorrow. I'll be sitting with people from the mayor's administration to see, to see, to have these discussions. Hey, look, these are the things that's wrong with the voucher system, voucher program. If we could streamline the process and get people out of shelters and into apartments quicker by streamlining this process, let's do it. I got a thousand apartments. What's up? Let's do this. <laughs> and, and and everybody's open everybody's like yes oh my god because we've always had this adversarial relationship with landlords and it and a lot of it is justified you have right. racist landlords you have discriminatory landlords you right. have all of that but if you could identify those who are just simply look i, I hear you shams but you don't understand i i had those vouchers and That's i was true. i yo they failed I, 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 it takes me months to get a check from the city. Like, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not doing that no more. You know, they have legitimate concerns. I'm not, you know, so the thing is, let's come together and let's hear everybody's concerns. You got tenants like me and you who exactly. we have issues. You know what I'm saying? And we need that. It might be there's some tenants who have moved into apartments and two weeks later, the roof came in. Wow. So now to my landlords, it's like, yo, you got to make sure you're not giving us no patch-up jobs. And, exactly. you know, we all got to be at the table addressing these issues. And that's what, you know, in the next coming days and, and, and you're going to see start to roll out because that's where I'm going with this. Guys, thank you for listening this far to the podcast. I will see you guys next week. But if you need more information, we definitely be on Twitter. You can follow us there on Instagram. Everything will be in the description below. 
And if you have any questions that you want to privately put us out, because if you put it on different forums, we're probably not going to see that. But if you want to see us on Twitter or Instagram and soon Facebook and YouTube, you can definitely DM us there or message us on those different platforms. Thank you for listening. See you in the next one. Bye.